I'm glad to see that you made it this morning. <laughs> and uh, for those watching online, we uh, pray that you will uh, have a, a good day and, and also it, it join in in our worship this morning as well. If I said the name uh, uh, Michael Jordan, um, you'd think of greatness as it relates to the, the sport of basketball. If I said the name Serena Williams, um, you would probably think of greatness as it relates to tennis. If I said the name Albert Einstein, um, you, you might think of greatness as it relates to, uh, to science. If I said the name um, Winston Churchill, you might, <laughs> uh, you might think of greatness as it relates to politics. These are names of people who have had great success in their area of expertise. They have demonstrated that when it comes to their specific craft, that um, they are worthy, right, of uh, particular attention. We give them honor and value based upon who they are and what they have accomplished. We give them glory. Throughout Scripture, we are instructed to give God glory. We're called to glorify the glorious God alone. You say, well, well why? Um, well, because unlike our other heroes that I just listed, God, see, God is one of a kind. In fact, I got to tell you, if there was a hall of fame for God's, uh, Yahweh, the sovereign God of this universe, would be the only one in it. <laughs> there is no one else who is glorious like him. This morning, we are starting a new sermon series that will lead us right up into Easter. It's our Lenten uh, series. I'm calling the series Alone, Five Core Beliefs, because over the next five Weeks, we're going to look at what the reformers called the five solas. Sola is the Latin word for alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and the Bible alone has a unique authority to teach us these things. And today we begin with the phrase from the reformers, solio dio gloria. To the glory of God alone. Now listen, a little under 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote these amazing words. You'll find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You know, typically, I think we would take that verse and we just kind of brush by it. We'd go over it very quickly. You know, we'd read through it and we'd pass it by. But listen, if you take some time just to think about what Paul was saying in that one verse, I mean, it's quite amazing, really. It means that all glory is to go to our Father, that God is running the show. <laughs> that this is our Father's world. It is not ours. It also means that the glory of God, that, that's not some just abstract belief that, you know, we're supposed to just repeat on Sunday mornings when we gather at church. No, the glory of God 
is the bedrock of our faith. Uh, God's glory is to define, in fact, how we are to live. So what does it look like to eat and uh, drink to the glory of God? I mean, what does it mean to give God glory? Well, to answer that, I would like to uh, begin by giving us a quick overview of God's redemptive story. I want you to catch this. Let's start with Genesis and the creation story, okay? Now, as you recall, um, <laughs> the biblical story of creation, it reaches its climax, right, in the creation of humanity, both male and female. In fact, Genesis 1 tells us that God made uh, humanity in his image. All of us have been made in his image. We have give, been given, think about this, the exalted status of being image bearers. And our dominion over the earth and our filling of the earth was for the purpose of displaying God's glory. We're reminded of this in, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, where God says, All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. <laughs> and in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, where God refers to his people as those whom I created for my glory. Soon after, of course, the creation comes what? It comes the fall, right? In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they sin. And as a result, we are told in Romans 3.23, this is a verse that you all know, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. See, sin, it, it cuts us off from God and it makes us want to accumulate glory for ourselves. In fact, later on in, the, in Genesis you remember the story of the Tower of Babel uh, uh, where um, the people basically say, hey, hey, listen, we're going to use our intelligence, we're going to use our technology, we're going to use our strength to build this huge tower. <laughs> we'll not ascribe God the, the, the glory do his name. No, come, let us make a name for ourselves. I mean, that's the human condition, right? We want to be in the name-making business, don't we? We want to accumulate glory for ourselves. We want our names to become big. But I got to tell you, in the long run, it never works, and it always makes us, we always end up looking silly. <laughs> so you move ahead in God's redemptive story to Exodus, to the Exodus. Following Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, the people of Israel, right, they spend several hundred years in slavery to Egypt. Then they cry out to God for mercy, and God hears them. And so God sends Moses, God working through his man, Moses, delivers them. Why? Well, Psalm 106, verse 8 tells us, Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. It was to make God's name known. <laughs> um, it was for God's glory. Well, let's fast forward out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Um, again, we see that the goal of God's redemptive story is God's glory. 
Um, Jesus is born. God becomes flesh. The hoped-for Messiah has arrived. Um, and near the end of his time here on earth, Jesus, talking to his father about his life and ministry, says this, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Father, I glorified you. See, Jesus' life and his whole ministry on earth here was for the purpose of glorifying his Father in heaven. And that included his dying on the cross for our sins. Because in the same prayer, in that same night before he was crucified, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Hours later, Jesus, what, what happens? He, he hangs on the cross, right? Why? To glorify his Father in order to repair the injury done to God's glory by our sin. Yes, the death of Jesus showed us God's love for us, but you have to remember, see, you and I, we're not the center. We're not at the center. Christ suffered, and he died to demonstrate the righteousness and glory of God. And at the end of the God's redemptive story. When Jesus returns, those who believe will be saved. But more than that is through our salvation again that God is going to be glorified. In fact, Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, says he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. We're going to marvel. The goal, see, of God's whole Redemptive story. The goal of that redemptive story is God's glory. So then we need to ask the question, well, what is glory? <laughs> well, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. Okay? And that word belongs to God, and originally it carries the idea of weight or substance. Um, if we were to put it in today's words, we might say um, Awesome. It's awe-inspiring. Um, last week, I had the uh, privilege of going out, and, and uh, that was last week, I guess a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, the privilege of going out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, to go skiing. And it, it, Jackson Hole, if you're familiar with it, it's right next to um, the Teton uh, mountain range. Um, and I, ca- I got to tell you, I can't count how many times I just ca- caught myself looking up at that that mountain range, um, staring at the Tetons, especially the Grand Teton, right? Um, I mean, it was awe-inspiring. Every time I looked up, I mean, it's just like my mouth, my jaw fell open. It was awe-inspiring. I was in a conversation this past week with a, with a friend, um, uh, who, uh, and he's not a believer, um, um, and I was telling him about my ski trip, and, and without any prompting, because he knew where it was located, without any prompting, he said, you know, I love the Tetons. I love the Tetons. And he was trying to describe it to me. He was trying to find the words to describe it. Finally, he came up with it. I, I, oh, they just inspire awe. <laughs> I said, they do. In Psalm 19, David writes, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. I mean, that's exactly what the Tetons do. They put God's glory on display. 
The glory of God, see, advertises God. All God's creation, the heavens, the mountains, the oceans, the earth, they tell us about something about God, the mystery, the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, the power, the liveliness of creation. It all reflects who God is. Like the beauty of a flower advertises the flower. Like the, like the strength of a strong man advertises the strong man. <laughs> like the skilled hands of a surgeon advertise the, the surgeon and his skills. The glory of God advertises God. See, God's glory, you got to understand this. God's glory, it, it's intrinsic to his being. It's, it's who he is. Uh, what wet is to water, what heat is to fire, glory is to God. <laughs> you can't bring up the name of God and not bring up his glory. God's character, his person, it, it, it's glorious. Say it another way. Listen, you don't have to give God glory for him to be glorious. See, now, unlike Michael Jordan or Albert Einstein, God never had to grow in his ability in order for him to be considered glorious. <laughs> um, I mean, when Michael Jordan, have you ever read Michael Jordan's history biography? When Michael Jordan was in high school, he didn't even make his high school basketball team. I mean, he had to grow in his ability to play basketball. And eventually, his ability to play basketball faded, right? Right? Sure, Albert Einstein was, um, he was quite bright when he was young, as I went back and looked at his biography a little bit. But he still had to go to school, and he had to learn, and he had to improve in his craft. And eventually, uh, you know, even after he came up with all of these formulas, he still, I mean, his, his, his intellectual abilities eventually diminished. Listen, not so with God. Not so with God. God has been glorious for all of eternity and will be glorious for all of eternity. Never was there a time when, and never will there be a time when God is not glorious. Listen, if you could see God at the nucleus of his being, you would see glory. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, Paul I think trying to describe God's glory says this, God is an unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. I think he's trying to capture an idea, an image of God's glory. I mean, so, so just take a moment. Think about the sun. The sun is located 93 million miles from earth. And if you want to take an airplane to the sun flying 600 miles an hour, it would take you now, if I've done the calculations right, I'm not really strong in math, but bear, bear with me. If you would take 17, it would take you 17 years to get there, flying on an airplane at 600 miles an hour. <laughs> 17 years. Now, if you drove, okay, it would take you 200 years to drive a car, and that's not calculating all the stops for gas along the way, but 200 years to drive a car from the earth to the sun. I mean, the sun is so big and so powerful, it heats the earth 93 million miles away. Now listen, I got to tell you, if you tried to get there a million miles before you even arrived, you would be burnt to a crisp. Because it's 
unapproachable light. I mean, you could be close enough, you know, 93 million miles away, right, to benefit from it. But the closer you get to it, the hotter things become. Over 1 million Earths could fit inside the sun because it's 870,000 miles around. And God said, you know what? I made that. I made that. I want to show you how heavy I am. I want to show you how awesome I am. So every time, listen, you get up in the morning and it's not dark outside, God says, that's my glory on display. That's God advertising God through his creation. Have you ever realized, and I thought about this, at the end of the book of Revelation, we're told that in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no need of the sun. Why? Because God's glory will give the new city, the city of Jerusalem, <laughs> all the light it needs. In fact, listen, in order um, for you to hang out there, you and I, we're, we're going to need new bodies. Why? <laughs> because this body... You know, the ones we have right now, they're going to all burn up in his presence. So every believer will receive a new glorified body so that you can handle the heat. You can handle the light of his supernatural presence. Uh, friends, I got to tell you, that is God's glory we're talking about. John describes Jesus' birth as the word becoming flesh. And dwelling among us. Jesus was the visible presence of God's Shekinah. <laughs> God's presence, God's Shekinah glory. Come to earth as this humble little baby. When God wanted to show his glory so that man can understand, he came as flesh. Jesus Christ, he is the revelation of God's glory in human form. So when you open your Bibles and you read about Jesus, catch this, you're not reading about a, a good man. No, what you're doing is you're reading about the glory of God come in human form. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You catch that? The glory of God. <laughs> it's amazing. The glory of God comes in the face of Jesus Christ. So, listen, here's, here's something you, you, you ought to take home with you. Here it is. The more you know of Christ the more you know of God's glory. Did you catch that? The more you know of Christ, the more you know of God's glory. So what do we do with all of this? Well, Psalm 92 instructs us. Or Psalm 29 instructs us. It says in verses 1 and 2, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That's our instructions. See, every person has a name. We all have, uh, you know, a character. God's character, his person, his name is glorious. 
(laughs) And he instructs us to recognize that fact. We are to ascribe to him the glory due his name. Isaiah 43, again, tells us that we were created for God's glory. In other words, God created you and I to be a mirror, to reflect back his image. We are God's, (laughs) put it this way, we are God's ad agency, okay? It's why God made us, um, to do all we do for the glory of God. Now, of course, this brings up an important (laughs) question, I think. Um, And that is, why does God want us to do this? Um, I mean, doesn't it seem pretty needy of God when he says, hey, give me the glory? (laughs) Um, I mean, doesn't it seem, (laughs) when you hear him say that, at least with the tone that I was reflecting there, it doesn't seem like he has a weak ego. (laughs) I need glory. But here's what we need to realize. We do not glorify God because he has unmet needs. No, we glorify God because it's the natural response we have when we detect his glory. A couple years ago, uh, Becky and I, I've I've shared this story before, but a couple years ago, Becky and I were down in Fort Myers, Florida, um, over spring break. Um, and, of course, because it was spring break, uh, the place was packed. I mean, uh, the, the beaches were, were packed. And we happened to be on the Fort Myers beach uh, uh, in an evening, and uh, uh, it was so busy. We said, well, we're not going to leave yet. It's going to be crowded trying to get out. We're, we're going to just stay here for a little bit longer and, and watch the sun set over the horizon. Um, I'll never forget what happened. Never forget what took place. As the sun began setting, people on that beach, they just stopped with all their activities and, and, and what they were doing. Um, and this crowd, I mean, the beach was crowded. This crowd, college students and teenagers and young adults, I mean, just, just became quiet. There was a hush. <laughs> and then as soon as the sun dropped out over top of that horizon over top the edge of the ocean people all around us they stood up and they began just applauding just clapping spontaneously there's nobody saying clap they just spontaneously started applauding why because it was god's glory on display see everyone wanted to express an appreciation for what they had just seen even if they didn't know what they were applauding for (laughs) or who they were applauding for. It was their natural response when they saw God's glory. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Not because he needs it, but because it's our natural response to it. See, we were created for God's glory. That's why, in fact, why we come to worship. Why you made it through the snowstorm or uh, snow this morning. Worship is not to be a tedious task. That's just something you mark off, check off on your, on your calendar. You, you, no, 
You're just giving our glorious God the glory due his name when you come and worship him. See, I think a lot of us have this worship thing all mixed up. Um, You don't come to church to hear someone preaching. You don't come to church just to join in with others uh, so you could hear their voices or they could hear your voice when you sing. You don't come to church just so you can connect with others and say, hey, what have you been doing this week? As wonderful as all of those things are, no, you come here to worship, to ascribe to God his glory. (laughs) You come for an audience of one. God, I'm coming here this week This Sunday morning, this hour, so you can hear my voice singing and praising you with others. God, I'm coming here so you can speak to me through your word. Because, God, it's all about you. That's worship. God deserves glory. Let me tell you the bottom line. Because God has created us for his glory, he is going to get his glory. (laughs) In fact, Philippians 2 tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch that? Every Knee should bow. Every tongue confess to the glory of God, the Father. It is written in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 10, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We'll all appear before him. Everyone will be inspected by him. And you can glorify him voluntarily, Or you can glorify him mandatorily. Everybody, everybody, one day will recognize the glory of God. Do you remember those glow sticks? Or they used to also make those glow necklaces, you know, they used to have, um, you know, kids would always want them when you go to the amusement park or, you know, when Chuck E. Cheese's was still around, you know, they'd always have those little glow sticks or those uh, necklaces. Those glow sticks, you know, they would always glow for a while, right? Um, but after a couple hours, they would begin to dim. Um, so you would take them, and because your, your kids were upset, you know, because now the light wasn't quite as bright as it once was, uh, and you'd put them under a lamp all night while they were sleeping. And the next day, you know, when the kids woke up, they were like, like new. They, they were bright again. They were glowing again, right? They were made, those glow sticks, those glow nickels, they were made to absorb the light in order to reflect the light. So are we. This world, see, makes the light of God fade. The people around you, you know, your family, your work, I don't know, your your circumstances, your own nature. (laughs) The light of the glory of God fades. But in 2 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19, it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Isn't that amazing? We're being transformed into one degree of glory to another. Listen, so if we stay under the the light of God's word, the glory of God, it keeps coming and expanding so that the presence and power of God is being realized in our lives. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is not about waiting for a glorious event, for a glorious vacation, or for some spectacular achievement. No, this is an invitation to a glorious life. You see, sin and darkness and the evil one will attack you, trying to convince you that your life is just ordinary and insignificant and inglorious. (laughs) I got to tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The glory of God is here now. We are being transformed from one glory to another. (laughs) And we can learn to do every moment of life to God's glory. Because the glory, the kabod of God is right here, right now. Listen, when you eat and drink, eat and drink to the glory of God. God is present with you. And he's given you your food. You didn't earn it. Eat it. (laughs) I mean, enjoy it, savor it. Chew it and swallow it and think about how good it is. Think about how good God has been to give it to you. There are people in this world that don't have food. Ask God to give them food. Eat and drink to the glory of God. See, God deserves glory. And we were made to glorify him. And you can do this. This is what makes a, a life glorious. Your glorious God is present with you. So your office can be a a place of Shekinah glory. (laughs) Your car can be a place of glory. Everyday activities like paying your bills, drinking coffee with a friend, talking with people in your neighborhood, reading a book, sleeping can be glorious moments. (laughs) Let me just finish with the words of the psalmist from Psalm 116. It says this. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name, give glory. Let me pray. God, thank you for your glorious name. Thank you that we get to experience your glory and share in your glory, God, That God, you are changing us to once again exhibit your glory. God, might we eat and drink, might we do all, everything we do, might it all be to the glory of you. In your son's precious name, amen.